there. You're listening to the Paralegals on Fire podcast show, where you'll be getting tips and actionable strategies that you can use right now to fast track your paralegal career. I'm your host, Ann Pearson, former paralegal and paralegal manager who left big law in the concrete jungle to start my own company, the Paralegal Bootcamp, where we give online courses that help paralegals make more money, increase their job security, and cut out the learning curve. All right, let's jump right into today's episode. Welcome back. We're doing another episode on some of my favorite tips. And in this week's episode, I'm going to do it specific for litigation paralegals. Because maybe the last one was a little too general and you weren't sure if it was going to relate to you. So this is the top seven takeaways from episodes that we already did so that you don't have to go back through a hundred episodes and binge listen to them. So top seven litigation tips and be sure to stick around for the last one about e-discovery because that's when I interviewed Michael Cordero from ACEDS and he makes a pretty bold statement, which I totally agree with about e-discovery and whether or not you're doing litigation if you're not doing e-discovery. I love that quote, probably my favorite quote of all of last year. Anyways, so we're jumping into litigation and yeah, I am doing it because our five-day challenge kicks off. If you missed that, we're live on Saturday and today, January 22nd, is day one of our challenge. So it's a little too late to join. Registration's already closed. Well, I shouldn't say that. If you're listening to this at you know, 6 a.m. on Monday morning when this episode comes out and you feel like, okay, I can catch up and I want to join, then email support at paralegal-bootcamp.com and I'll see if I can get today's day one challenge out to you. Otherwise, if it's a success, we'll hold it again in March or April and you can just join then. All right, so let's get into the top seven litigation tips. How can I get up to speed fast? I think something that could help you is what I had recommended in our three-step roadmap for new litigation paralegals. Even if you're not new to the litigation practice area, this would help because it can also be a method that you use to get up to speed fast on new cases. First, you're going to want to start by reviewing all of the motions, briefs, discovery responses, pleadings. Instead of doing the typical thing when someone's getting up to speed on a case, which is just reading all of those things and taking notes and then trying to rely on your memory, instead of doing that, I'm going to suggest that you extract specific information from those documents that you're reviewing, the names and roles of every person who's identified in them. And you're going to put those into a player's list. Second, you're also going to extract any dates that you come across during that review and put those into a chronology. Third, as you're doing that review, have a master to-do list for that case where you can make notes about the things that you come across. For example, when you're reading the discovery responses and the other side objects or says they're going to respond at a future date with more complete information, make a note of following up to see if that's ever happened. So you've got three documents now, a player's list, a chronology, and a master to-do list for those big cases. Yes, that process may seem a little time-consuming, 
But think of it like this. If all you do is skim the complaint and the answer, and you have a few talks with the attorney in charge, you're not going to know everything that you need to know to proactively manage those cases and to get on top of them. You'll just have an overview. You need to get deep into the weeds. But there's two other reasons that you do this, in addition to being able to manage the information. First, you'll have all of that information in one place, preferably an Excel spreadsheet. And then you'll be able to do things like filter the data, sort the data, put the chronology into a timeline, all kinds of things. Second, and this would only apply if you're billing for your time, but it's a big one if you are. We all know that clients don't want to pay for a new paralegal to get up to speed on their cases just because the previous paralegal left the firm. And yet that's exactly what you have to do in order to properly manage the cases. However, if you're preparing something that adds value to the case, especially a physical thing like a player's list and a chronology, something you could attach to an email to the client if they wanted to see it, that time spent wasn't just getting up to speed on the case. It was preparing something that puts all of that information in one place and can later be used for all kinds of things, including getting ready for depositions and getting ready for trial. If you want a more detailed written version of how you can do those things, go to the website, the Paralegal Bootcamp website, paralegal-bootcamp.com forward slash three steps. It also gives you some examples, like for the players list and the chronology and the master to-do list. So that'll give you something concrete, an actionable strategy to take away. What litigation software or applications should I try to learn to help me work in litigation? Well, first, congratulations on your upcoming graduation. So I think that there are two categories to this answer. First, what software or applications can you learn now that you have access to and can continually use to keep those skills sharp while you're trying to find a paralegal position? And the second category is, what will you be expected to know, but you maybe don't have access to now? And even if you did have access to that software, you know, it might be different than the one that you learned. And more importantly, even if you found free trial or free training on these software products, if you don't put it to use in the real world, then you probably won't retain much of what you learned. So let's start with the first category, the ones that you can learn now that you have access to. And that's the three big ones, Microsoft Word, Microsoft Excel, and Adobe. Look, I know it's not sexy and exciting, right? Word, Excel, and Adobe. But those three software tools are the ones that you must have more than just a basic knowledge of. And you're going to use them regardless of the type of employer that you end up working for, regardless of what practice area you go into in litigation and what other tools are available. Regardless of all that, those three software tools are ones that you will use for your entire paralegal career, no matter where you go. Here's the thing. You can get access to all three of those right now, take training online, keep using them, and keep advancing your skills. The other category is all of the other litigation technology tools that you will use as a litigation paralegal. But even if you got some kind of trial access or student access to it now, 
If you're just playing around in the software and doing some demos and not really putting what you're learning into real life practice, you're probably not going to remember most of what you learn because you can't really apply it to anything. So I'll list them, but I think your time is better spent getting to an advanced level of the Microsoft applications and Adobe. So there's Westlaw and Lexis, which you probably got student access to while you were in school. There's also e-filing, and that's the applications that allow for you to electronically file your pleadings, motions, briefs, and other court filings. Back in the old days, um, haha, now I'm not going to say we used to have to walk to the courthouse in bare feet in the snow, but back in the old days, there was no such thing as electronic filing. When something needed to be filed with the clerk of court, we had to get in our car and drive to the clerk's office or hire a courier to do it for us. Hopefully, they covered that in your technology class, the e-filing in your paralegal certificate program. Then there is the document management system that organizes the electronic version of everything in the case, like the Microsoft Word documents that you're drafting, memos, um, those types of things. This one is so very specific to the employer that it wouldn't be helpful for you to learn any of them. There's also the e-discovery software, you know, that's used to process, review, and produce discovery in the case. That software is also very specific to what the employer uses. Now, I could tell you the names of them, like Relativity is one of the e-discovery tools, and Relativity does have free online training. But first, you don't know if the firm that you're going to go to work for is a litigation paralegal has relativity or if they have some other application. You don't know if they have a specific trial presentation software either. So it really wouldn't be very, it it just wouldn't be a good use of your time to go out and try to learn all of these different case-specific or firm-specific software products when you might not even use that you might have a completely different application. I'm going to do a separate Q&A just on the topic of e-discovery. So be sure to follow the podcast so you can learn more about that topic. I think that deserves its entire an entire separate Q&A based on e-discovery. Then there are the deposition software applications as well as trial technology. Again, all of them very specific to the employer type and the practice area. For example, let's say you find yourself at a solo practitioner or a very small firm that doesn't go to trial that often. They might use an app and an iPad at trial compared to another firm that might have a more expensive system designed for their team's specific needs. That's why it wouldn't do you any good to go out and learn those specific litigation software tools, only to find out that the firm doesn't even use it. My advice Stick to category one and learn everything you possibly can at a very high level in Microsoft Word, Microsoft Excel, and Adobe. Become the information manager of your cases. As a litigation paralegal, it's easy to get sucked into the never-ending cycle of document management or document chasing. Where is that hot document? Do you have a copy of that revised contract that's part of this dispute? Can you get me a copy of that email so that I can use it as an exhibit to a motion? 
That's where you have to be careful as a litigation paralegal because you're more than just a document manager. You are an information manager. By focusing on managing the information, you're going to be able to proactively manage your litigation cases. So in order to do that, you have to know what's going on in your cases, which means you have to review everything that comes in related to the case. All of the things coming in on a case eventually go through somewhat of a funnel to determine what's relevant that's going to prove or disprove the allegations in the complaint. And only some of it becomes potential evidence for trial. But it all has to come into that funnel. It's information that's found in pleadings and motions and discovery responses, deposition testimony, and the documents and data that gets produced. If you only focus on the documents and data, you're going to be missing half of what's going on in the case. So we've essentially got a couple of different categories. We've got the pleadings and motions. Now, they don't become evidence in and of themselves, but when you put them through that information funnel, there could be citations to evidence within those pleadings and motions. There could also be exhibits attached to those motions or the briefs that support them. And those attachments or exhibits is what could become evidence. That's the information, along with affidavits and declarations that might be filed in the case. It's the same with discovery responses such as interrogatory answers, responses to requests for admission, and of course, the documents that get produced as part of a request for production of documents. Too often, all of these things come in throughout the life of a case and they get filed away. Instead, what if you reviewed everything and extracted the key information and put that information in one place and then filed it away? In doing so, you're going to know everything that's happening on the case. You're going to know who the key players are, what the key dates are, what the upcoming deadlines are. You're going to know what the attorney needs before they need it. That's what I used to do when I was a litigation paralegal. Now, this was back before there was fancy case management software, which was nice to use, but I used to use an Excel spreadsheet. And you know what? Depending on how user-friendly your case management software is, It might be easier for you to use an Excel file, even if you do have access to expensive software. How do you, as a new litigation paralegal, know what to do on your cases without waiting to be told what to do by the attorney? Especially when attorneys aren't known to be the best delegators. And how to have a successful, rewarding career without having to wait the 10 to 15 years that everybody says it takes to get there. If you've been following any of the paralegal boot camps, social media for a while, or listening to the podcast, watching any of the YouTube videos, you know that I'm on a mission to bust that myth. You don't have to put your time in like it's a jail sentence. That's my why. Why I developed the framework that I call the litigation paralegal career accelerator framework. Okay, so that's the why. Now, what is it? Well, it started as a simple Venn diagram that had what I knew were three of the main categories that I wanted to help with, mindset, behaviors, and skills. And then I said, what are the three most important areas in each of those three categories? And more importantly, what are the three in each of those categories that would have the biggest impact on a paralegal's career? 
it's not like there are only three in each category ever that you ever would need to know or a total of nine. But what are the three in each category that are critical? If a paralegal wants to change the trajectory of their career and not have to wait a decade or two to enjoy a successful career, what if there was a quicker path, a better path? What if it didn't have to take 15 years? What if you could do it in less than half of that time? You can. I absolutely promise you that you can. All right, let's talk about what's in each of those categories. First is mindset. The three areas within mindset are one, the mindset that you don't have to just put in your time. You can be a rock star paralegal right now, not a decade or two from now. Two, that you own your career. The mindset that this is your career and you get to choose how successful of a career you have. And three, the mindset that you own your cases. You are the project manager of your cases and you're taking lead on proactively moving these cases forward. In other words, you know what the attorney needs before they know they need it. The next is behaviors. The three areas within the behaviors category are one, you master time management. Two, you pay attention to detail at a whole new level. And three, you're proactive. Last but not least, the third main category in that Venn diagram is skills. And the three areas inside the skills section are one, that you master the discovery phase of litigation. Two, you level up your trial prep skills. And three, sharpen your technology skills. That's the framework. That's the framework to accelerate your career as a litigation paralegal. It is what it is. All right, so what can you do now? If you're not getting on the job training that you thought you would, or you're not getting any, then you have to go out and get it. You have really only two options. One, go get the training that you need. Or two, keep struggling and wait for someone to find the time to provide you with the training. That's just the cold, hard truth. I hate to say it. Well, no, I should say there is a third option too, and that is to keep doing what you're doing. Try not to make too many mistakes or ask too many questions, you know, or ask as many as you can without being overbearing and hope that the attorney is patient and understanding. But I've seen that third option not go so well. Some of us luck out, right? And it works out for us, but a lot of times it doesn't. You probably have seen it too, at least if you're in any of the social media groups for paralegals or LinkedIn groups for paralegals, you've probably seen it. Let me read you a couple of them that I found in a Facebook group. One wrote, the lawyers I worked for never trained slash taught me or give me any direction, was upset the way I did things, so I was fired Monday. I'm beyond upset to the point of just giving up in the legal field. I do a dang good job doing it on my own and now this. And another one said, after a brief experience at a law firm after graduation, they gave me no training and everything I did was wrong. I asked questions and asked to be trained, but they wouldn't help and said I should know what I'm doing, but I didn't. So we parted ways. There are dozens more that I could read. It's sad. But I have to get back to the cold, hard truth because I'm not here to placate people. 
Remember, the mission of this podcast is to give you actionable strategies to fast track your paralegal career. So assuming you don't want to choose option two from a minute ago, or worse yet, just throw up your hands and leave the paralegal profession, then your actionable strategy is to go get the training that you need. This is your responsibility. This is your career. The training doesn't have to come from the paralegal bootcamp. It can come from anywhere, but you have to go get it. Look, I'd love to blame the attorneys who don't take the time to train you, even though they knew when they hired you that you had no experience. And I'd love to blame the senior paralegal down the hall who's stingy with her knowledge because she has this scarcity mindset and doesn't really want anyone else but themselves to succeed. But I'm not. I can't blame them. Because for every one of them, especially the paralegal down the hall, for every one of them, there's a paralegal down the hall who really wants you to succeed, but they have to do their own job. They have deadlines that they're not going to risk missing just because the two of you set a time to meet so that she could show you how to put together a deposition notebook, and now she doesn't have the time. Remember that your attorney, those fellow paralegals, They are not a training company. They're not in the business of educating. I know they should have a training program if they're going to hire junior paralegals, you know, but we can't blame others. We have to decide this is what we got ourselves into. Remember what it was that initially motivated you to go get that paralegal certificate? Go back to that feeling, right? You were motivated. This is what you really wanted to do. Now, are you going to just give up? Or are you going to sit around blaming people, right? Because we could even blame the schools. I'd love to blame the schools for not having a more comprehensive training program, but I can't do that either because none of them can show you what it looks like to work in a particular practice area, in a particular firm, for a particular lawyer, because every one of them is going to be different. So who do we get to blame? No one. We take the responsibility for it ourselves and decide if we're going to be cut out to be a paralegal. And part of that means, are you resourceful enough to figure it out and find the training that you need in order to do a good job? Have the confidence to speak up when something's going off the tracks. That's what I'm talking about. What I mean by that is when something is happening in a case, in a transaction, on a file, and you know from your experience or from the feedback you're getting things that are happening, the training that you've received, you know from your experience that something is going to go wrong. And you just put your head down, try to get the work done and hope that you can pull it through. It never happens, right? We always end up finding ourselves where the train has gone off the tracks and now we're being held responsible for it because we are the paralegal on the case or the file or whatever. Let me give you a specific example. I'll talk litigation because we're in litigation mode this month, but you could use this for any of your files, your transactions, real estate closings. But let's say you're a litigation paralegal and you've got a document production coming up. You are prepared to meet the deadline. You have it all scheduled out on your calendar. You set aside time every day to review the documents to get them produced in time and to do a quality control check before the end. But let's say the attorney keeps adding on more and more documents or asking you to do more and more things for each and every document. Like instead of just reviewing for privilege, you're going to review and tag hot documents. You're going to review and find documents that are for a specific deposition coming up. 
they've increased the scope, but you haven't increased the time. You still have to complete that by that same deadline. So in order to do that, you skip past quality control or you you are rushed during it. And we know when we're rushed, we make mistakes. So in the end, what happens? Maybe a privileged document gets produced to the other side. When the attorney comes upon that mistake, it's going to be your fault. What they're going to say is, why didn't you say something? Why didn't you tell me that you were overwhelmed and you didn't think you were going to complete this project on time? Why didn't you tell me that because of all of the extra tags and things that I was having you do to these documents that you might not be able to do a good quality control check? That's what they're going to come to you and say. So why not speak up, have the confidence to speak up when you've got the opportunity? Yeah, you still might have to take the blame, but at least you spoke up and you were able to say, this is going to cause this potentially. And I just want you to be aware that this could cause a potential problem down the road. It used to be a plus if a litigation paralegal had e-discovery experience. To me now, it seems like it's mandatory. How can you be a litigation paralegal and not know your way around e-discovery? I think that's right. I think that's a, that's 100% correct. I don't, I don't know a litigation matter that doesn't involve some electronic document, whether it's a, a text message, a Word document, a PDF, a spreadsheet, a presentation, something. Two parties are opposed to each other in litigation. There's an obligation to collect any relevant material. And that material is going to be on a computer somewhere or, or some other device. How you navigate a litigation without understanding how to properly collect, process, review, and produce that electronic information, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say you're not really working in litigation if you don't know e-discovery. Yeah. Wow. I agree. So do you have any advice for paralegals who say, well, we don't do e-discovery at my firm because maybe it's a small firm and it is the lawyer's firm, right? They're the boss. So the boss says, I want you to print out these, all these PST files, the emails. I want you to print them all out so I can read them and highlight them. And then I'm going to give them back to you to scan them back into the computer. Do you have any advice for the paralegal dealing with that? And that may still happen today, uh, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm sure there are still paper documents involved in litigation. The challenge that arises is when you know you print something out and then you rescan it you lose all the metadata you lose the searchable text you lose some of the functionality that we have available in the e-discovery industry you know the technology has gotten so advanced that we're using machine learning and ai and and tools like those to parse through large volumes of data so just to back up and answer your question directly, even if you're a small firm and you have small matters and small numbers of documents, uh, why wouldn't you want to capture those electronic documents in a way that makes it much more efficient to work with them, to search them, to categorize them, or e even simple things like creating you know, a, w a witness book for a, a, a deposition? It, it just makes so much more sense to do it with today's computers and technology. Y you lose too much. And you could, there's a, there's a good chance, you know, the federal rules talk about producing electronically stored information in a way that is usable. And if you're printing out documents or, and then just scanning them and turning over TIFF images or PDFs, it's not really usable to the other side, um, in today's world anyway. So you can get some pushback from opposing counsel or even perhaps the court. So there's that. 
Yeah. So that's what I would say too is, um, well, to me, it's a waste of time. You're spending more time doing it. But I think maybe they're, quote, getting away with it because the other side is also not pushing back. And that's maybe the only reason why they're able to get away with it. No, and that's true. And and there are, of course, exceptions. Some firms, certainly smaller firms, don't have the internal resources or the training resources or even the technology in-house. And so they're relying on an outside vendor to to do the e-discovery work. Uh, and that's fine. But still, if you're a paralegal or a case manager, or, or frankly, an attorney for that matter, and you're responsible for moving a matter forward, you have to know how to manage that vendor. You have to make sure that the vendor's doing the right thing. So, so that's important too. You need to know it for that reason as well. Well, and don't you see the trend that there are so many, I'll call them DIY e-discovery tools now that vendors have put out there that make it easier for these smaller firms with no e-discovery experience to do it themselves and do it more efficiently. Absolutely. And and some of the smaller ones have been gobbled up by the bigger companies. You know, that's just the nature of the business, right? But yeah, there there are really simple tools out there that'll just hold your documents in a safe, secure place, keep them organized by matter, enable you to do some searching, sorting, um, you know, filtering, find things that you need very quickly rather than, you know, going to a case room and pulling a box off a shelf and rifling through a box and, you know, post-it notes and all that, that whole world that we used to live in. It's it's just much more efficient today uh, to to do it using computers. But th- there are exceptions. Uh, I think they're few and far between. At the end of the day, as so many people I think like to say in the industry, you're not doing litigation if you're not doing e-discovery. It's that's the bottom line. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, hit the subscribe button in whatever platform you're listening. And please take a quick minute and leave a review of the podcast and share this episode with just one colleague or friend who you think would benefit from what we discussed today. Share the knowledge and the entire paralegal profession elevates. See you next week. Bye for now.